Listen to this, Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. What is the currency of the kingdom of God? It's not our good works. It's not our good looks. For some of us, thank God. (laughs) But the currency of the kingdom is our lack. It's our need. It's what we don't have. I can give you a whole bunch of scriptures. It gives you beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, right? Uh, while we are still dead in our sins and our transgressions, Jesus died for us. I mean, there's always this incredible exchange for either depravity or our need or our weakness that God goes, that's where I want to do some of my best stuff. Many people look at the Great Commission and they go, I don't like people. (laughs) Or I'm afraid of people. Or I'm a mess. Or I'm too tired. All these things. And what they say, look at the Great Commission and I do not, I have a lack. I don't have what it takes to live that out. And we think that that assessment excuses us when God's going, oh no, no, no. Your inability... That's the currency of the kingdom. I'll exchange your nothingness and give you a heart. It's really weird that way. You know, I mean, you know the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says that, you know, Paul says this, where you're weak, you're excused, right? No, no. Where you, <laughs> that's how we read a lot of this. Well, I know I'm supposed to love everybody as Jesus loves me, but my brother, he is such a jerk. If he ever comes by my house, I will, I will accidentally let my, my, my Rottweiler out the front door. You know, stuff like that. I mean, how we justify, I just can't forgive him. Our inability to forgive, that's the place where God says, I can help you out there. Does that that make sense? So sometimes we have this weakness. And it would be real easy to go look at this church and go, you know, we just don't have a a lot of young people here. But I don't want you old people. They know the songs. They're really nice people and all this. But I just don't see how we can build a church here. You know, and I'm sitting there going, you who have no money, come by and eat. I think you actually prayed something like that about giving us grace where that was really good prayer you didn't know it was that good it was a good prayer there's something about our testimony you know i was talking about you know being a prodigal or being demon possessed and there's so many people go i am such a mess therefore i can't get saved and jesus sitting there going you are such a mess that when I save you, it's going to be total. It's going to be, it'll be incredible. I mean, isn't that, you know, you know the good people? The good people come from good homes and then they decide it's time to add Jesus to their life. And they get saved. And it's like they, they, they had a good portfolio, but now they've added Jesus. And then now they have everything, right? And you just go, ah, I mean, God, I love it when he saves people who don't have any problems. I do. I think that's great. But I really, really, really love it when he saves people like me. It's just really a mess, right? 
So many people say, I can't get saved because I'm such a mess. Some people say, I can't minister because I have a broken heart. Or I can't have a, 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 a good, satisfying marriage because of the foolish things that I did when I was a teenager. And God's sitting there going, I do my best work in your brokenness. I do my best work where you have failed. I'm doing your best work when you don't have anything to give me except your need. I mean, and we all know this. But then someone trots out, you know, the Great Commission is really important. And we're going to, and you go, I don't know if we have the time for that. And I just don't like people. Or I used to reach out to people. But, you know, there's all these things I can't, I can't, I can't. Or I agree with it, but I don't have to, I don't have. It's in the place of excuses, the place of weakness, that God can do his greatest thing. People who have some of the most difficult testimonies. I mean, they just, they're still walking out all the healing from what happened. And they go, well, once I get everything right, then I'll be able to share in a way that's effective. And I'm just going, did you know testimonies, of course, they help us overcome and get stronger in our faith, but testimonies are weapons in the hands of God to touch other people's hearts. You know, where we go, oh, I'm so ashamed of what I've done. God said, look, I took care of the shame. And I rescued you. Uh, you don't have to be ashamed anymore. Uh, you can regret that you did it, but that's not the point. Look what I've done to you and for you. You have a story to share that has power. Isn't that amazing? You can imagine Abram. God says, you know, it's time for you to have a kid. And Abram could have said, I'm too old for that sort of stuff. And actually, their bodies were as good as dead. That's, that means the parts didn't work. You know that. But somehow they mixed a little action with their faith. and <laughs> I mean, what a picture of an older congregation who says, we, we, we believe in the Great Commission, but actually producing babies, well, we'll wait for the younger ones to do it. Because we're too old for that. Mm -mm. So, I think you get the idea. Um, what are, what are your weaknesses? We don't want to glorify them, but God, our weaknesses, is the, that's the currency of the kingdom. It's our lack. It's what we don't have that we use to exchange for really cool things from God. Second thing, I think we have a wrong or a limited view on the kinds of resources that God uses to accomplish His purposes. Um, you know the story, it's in 2 Kings chapter 4. There's this lady with her, you know, with her kid and uh, the prophet comes by and he seemed a little brutal. He's going, you know, make me some cakes. And, but I mean, he just said, so what's in your house? All we have is just a little bit of oil. That's all we got. I mean, and, and we're going to use that to bake a little food and then we're going to die. So the resources we have will barely meet our needs for a day um, and, and, he, and then he goes, well, before you eat, could you make something for me? What a pain that prophet was. But then he says something. He, so what's in your house? A little bit of oil? Go get a whole bunch of empty vessels. Behind closed doors, take the little that you have and start pouring it. And guess what? They start doing that. And doing it. And doing it. Isn't this a great picture? 
of, of, of a group of people who say, we, we, we believe in all the things that God says, but we only have a little bit of oil. We only have a, have a little bit of energy. We only have a little bit, and, and God's sitting there, okay, great. Just get yourself close to some empty vessels and pour what little you have into them. See what happens. Well, I'm really not good at evangelism. I like people. Well, look, just, just say something nice to someone. <laughs> really, just go up to someone and say, and, and I know in England, uh, yeah, that could be like harassment. You know, <laughs> you go, hi, how are you? You know, I was just watching you. You've been watching me? Right? No, but there's something about what little you have poured into someone else. See what happens. God, what God does with the little what we have is an incredible thing. Um, really, I mean, I love church growth. I love that the, uh, God would use a church to advance a kingdom and rescue people from hell. I love all this stuff. And sometimes we need programs. We need, we need all these things to facilitate that. But you know something? It is really just people taking what little they got and looking for opportunities to pour it into someone else. When, when you sow into someone's life, it's never a waste. Ever. When you're nice to someone, it's never a waste. Ever. When you pray for someone, it is never a waste. Ever. Even if you don't see the immediate results, it's never a waste. What does God use? I, I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm really preaching the choir. You guys know this stuff. But what's the number one thing that God uses to advance the kingdom? It's not personality. It's not skill. It's not ability. It's obedience. Simple obedience. Have you ever been prompted by God to do something that you'd rather not do? Have you ever been prompted to do something um, that you're afraid of doing? Have you ever been prompted by God to do something that you're absolutely sure you're going to fail in doing? But I'm telling you, every time we just take that next step, something happens. Something happens. Think of Peter. I mean, sometimes we like dramatic results. God tells Peter, I want you to minister to people that you think you're better than. You know, those, those non-Jews. Those, those heathen uh, Gentiles. And he goes, but they're unclean. And, and God just sort of puts them right. He said, no, why don't you pour into those people that you'd rather not be around? Okay? People that are very different than you. Why don't you go do that? And you know, Peter, smart enough, he goes, well, God, I've got opinions, but since you told me to do it, I'm guessing you're right. And so he goes to Cornelius' house, shares the gospel, Holy Spirit comes, and his family and his whole household gets saved, but that's not the big deal. I mean, it is a big deal. The whole Gentile world was standing behind Cornelius. And Peter didn't even see it. I don't know how we could reach so many. You know, I mean, people don't come to church. We don't like, you know. All it takes is one. Just one person that you, you, you sow into, and all of a sudden that may be the one where you sow it, and all of a sudden they go, yes, I love Jesus, me and my family. And by the way, I'm the mayor of the city. And you, I mean, that's what happened. You can't plan this out. God didn't tell Peter, said, look, I got this assignment. I want you to go minister to Cornelius, but I'm telling you, I'll blow open the doors. You'll get revival. He didn't. He says, just 
Just obey. Here's another thing. There's something about sowing and reaping. I know churches. I, I know churches that have been laboring for years. They've just been sowing. Sowing, just being nice to people, sharing the gospel, doing community service, not seeing any results, and all that sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden, people start coming in. Opportunities. And they, they have no idea because they, they really don't have a great program. And the people are not really personable and all that. But the thing is, they've been sowing. They've just been sowing. Just sowing, 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 sowing. And God has promises for sowers. If you sow, you will reap. There will be a reaping. Many people go, I can't do this great commission thing because you know, I've tried it before and I just didn't see results. Sow. Keep sowing. Someone plants, someone waters, but it's God who gives the increase. Can you imagine just sitting there going, I know I'm doing my deal. I'm going to my next door neighbor. Or I'm going to go to my brother who I can't stand, who I would release my Rottweiler to. I'm going to go and say, look, yeah, you've done some jerky things. My attitude's been bad. I'm so sorry for hating you. I'm praying for you. If you'd be willing, I'd like to discover who my brother is. You know that kind of thing? Whoa, you've sowed huge things into your life. Huge things into his life. It's an amazing thing. Just a consistent sower. Sometimes you don't see the results, but you know. You know you're investing in some unseen results. This happened in America. I'm sure, oh, I'm sure it happened here in World War II. A lot, a lot of our boys, I wasn't alive then, but I can call them our boys. They went off to fight. And you know what a whole bunch of ladies did back? They, they went to work in the factories. They started doing all this sort of stuff. And they go, why did they do that? Well, for the war effort the boys over there they're doing their little thing not just so they could get a paycheck they're doing it so that the unseen results could happen isn't that isn't that true it's a it's a it's a mentality that the value of what they did had very little to do with what they were actually doing the value of what they did had to do with the overall purpose of the nation at the time any Christian can start thinking that way concerning the purpose of their church. Persistent obedience, a stubborn obedience, is something that if you don't experience it in your lifetime when you're heaven, you'll be able to see other people reap some of the stuff that you sowed. I mean, we all have the mission, stories of the missionaries, the guys who spent decades in China fruitless, nothing's going on. Yeah, they had miracles, but there's no thing. And, but now you look at what's happening in China, and all these Chinese are saying, there were these guys who came and sowed and sowed and sowed and sowed and sowed. They didn't get the results, but we started to experience the reaping. I mean, my gosh. I mean, how old do you have to be before you can say, I just can't sow? How, how broken... Do you have to be to where you can go, I am so broken, I can't sow anything. Every little bit not only counts, it matters. What you do echoes throughout all eternity. Isn't it amazing how God takes the, the excuses and turns them into strengths? 
I'm, I am really one of those, there's a, the glass is half full. I mean, I love half-empty people. You know, they go, well, it's just half-empty. But I'm going, you're looking what you don't have. I'm looking what I have. And I think that's God's perspective. Not, be, not because he agrees with me. But there's something about whatever little you have. Wow, what could we use with it? What could we do with this little we have instead of lamenting over what you don't have? So, you can have a limited view of weakness, a limited view of resources. Oh, I want to say one more thing about resources. You know the power of really forgiving someone the way Jesus has forgiven you? This is incredible power. Because, number one, you're obedient to God. Number two, it frees your soul. Some people can't go forward because their past hurts so much. But when you, one of the ways you sow into your future, sow into future fruitfulness, is to just let nothing in your life stand unforgiven. You still may hurt, but let nothing in your life stand unforgiven. Because when you, when you have really forgiven, as Jesus has forgiven you, you're the freest human being in the world. You can go forward. Isn't that true? You, I mean, forgiveness is a sowing into your own future and your future capacity to influence other people. Because, you know, we you know bitterness defiles. So, just, just saying, these little things that we can do have incredible outward kingdom impact. And here's the last one. We can have a limited focus. This is in Genesis 13. Abram, he was, uh, he was standing on a plot of land and he made some transactions with his nephew and all this, and he's standing there and he's just looking what, it, what he's got. And God says, lift up your eyes and look from where you are. The visual there is incredible. I mean, how many times have we just look at our life and we're stuck looking at our life? Instead of going, okay, this is our life, these are the things that, this is where we're at, but then you just lift up your eyes from where you are and see the more that God may have for you. It doesn't discourage you when it says, wow, this is where I am. Wow, this is where I can be. It just helps you start moving. But you will go where you're focused. You will go where you're focused. Focus has so much to do with almost everything. When it's how you see the promises of God. The people of Israel, they knew the promises of God. You can take the land. The land's yours. I've given it to you. They had the they had the promises of God. But Joshua and Caleb took the promises of God and framed their interpretation of the land. The other people, they took the promises of God and compared it to what was going on in the land. Oh, there's giants. There's giants. We got the promises. There's giants. Joshua and Caleb said, here's the giants, but here's the promises. We can surely do this.
It, this is not just a matter of, it's, you know, it's just a matter of perspective, but really getting the framing right is so important. Let me give you one last illustration that I want to pray for us. Um, in John 4, perhaps you're uh, familiar with the story, there was this lady. She was a mess. A lot of relationship problems, giving herself to so many people. And Jesus sort of leads her to himself. Okay? Later on, she would, be, she would go back to the place where she had a horrible reputation and she would say, I've met another man. <laughs> and he's God. Can you imagine that? There's a lady who's sleeping around with anybody who will say yes. She's sleeping around with everybody. And marriage after marriage, relationship after relationship, she meets Jesus, she gets saved, and she goes back to the town where she has this reputation of having all these relationships, right? And she goes, guess what? I've met another man, and he's God. Now, seriously, unless there's anointing on that lady, you'd probably go, oh, this, she's really going off the de deep end. But the thing is, she had an anointing because it was real. And when she shared about Jesus, a good part of the town said, wow, that's great, Jesus is Lord. The rest of them went to see if it was true. They encountered Jesus. That's incredible. But I digress. But in between him meeting this lady and her doing it, he transacted with his disciples. The disciples came up, saw him talking to the lady, and they, just, they didn't say, so why are you talking to her? They just sort of blew off what Jesus was doing as if it was not nearly as important as what they wanted to do. And they had gone to the supermarket and they came back and they had food for Jesus. Many of us get the prophetic metaphor here. Many of us think that the primary call of a Christian is to be used by God to feed the body of Christ. Get plugged in, share your gifts. And that's important. But they go, here, have something to eat. And Jesus starts messing with their head. He starts changing the framing of their ministry, of what's really important. And he goes, I have food you don't know of. And they go, oh man, did someone else get in there and give him food? They're like really confused. Jesus does that. Have you ever noticed when Jesus wants to change how you think, the way you think, he challenges it so it's sort of confusing at times. Come on, guys, you know this. If you're married, let's say you're a godly guy, you get married, you're freshly married, and you got this vision for your family, vision for your wife, vision how the marriage is going to go, and you let's go. And your wife is just sitting there going, well, that's a really good idea, but i got another idea. And you have this conflict, and you're going, this is not working. Here are the principles. I've got it right. This isn't working. It can't be God's fault because these are God's words. So, and I'm all the way in, so honey, you must be in rebellion. I mean, that's what some guys do. Not, certainly not here. But you know, and what's really going on is the guy's got a good vision, but his thinking is all whack. And God just brings him into some obstacles so he has to stand back and think about things differently. Isn't that true? You guys are looking at me going, this never happens in England. It's only in America. Anyway, so this is what's going on with them. They're going, yeah, what's going on? And then he goes, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then, then the disciples were happy. Oh, yeah, us too. 
We're in agreement. And then he just turns the tables on them. He said, you have this saying, four more months until the harvest. You have this saying. You have this way of thinking. You have this habit of mind. Four more months. To rephrase it, he goes, you, st- you still think there's time. You still think that you have reasons why you can't get on this thing. That's your saying. You can agree with the harvest, but he said, no, I need time to get into it. And then what Jesus did, he spent like three hours teaching them all about the Great Commission and all. He did not. He just, he's looking at them, and then he takes and he goes, open your eyes, look. Look at the harvest. It's ready now. The power of looking is huge. To make it very practical, I love my wife. I love my wife. I would die for her. Um, and we, you know, a gentle answer turns away wrath. She's always gentle. She's never had a harsh word for me. That really irritates me. <laughs> now, there are times I want to fight. And she, I don't want to fight with you. But honey, this is worth it. No, it's not. And she always wins by not fighting. I mean, then we get into intense negotiations afterwards, but I get all upset. Um, so she irritates me, not because she's got bad habits, but she's probably a little more Christ-like than, than me. And so I get a little irritated. I can't get my way and things like that. But I do this on a fairly regular basis. When she's not looking, I'll look at her. I'll just look at her. I'll watch her cook. Sometimes I'll watch her sleep. Just look at her. And I, you know, it's nothing really spooky, like stalky thing. You know? <laughs> it's not that. I just look at her. I look at her. She's so beautiful. She's so kind. She's got insecurities. She's got problems. But the thing is, I see, I see her and I go, oh, what a gift. And I, I don't feel condemned. I go, oh, I'm, not, I'm not giving her, God, what, what she needs. And I don't feel condemned. But I, and it's not because I look at myself and see whether or not I, I can do it. I look at her and I go, oh, she deserves not only my best, but a best that I don't have. You know, you just have, the, you have that look. And nobody has to teach it to me. You just sort of look. You go, I think I'll be more gentle. I think I'll listen to her more. Oh, God, give me grace to do it. It's a little by little thing. The power of looking at what Jesus wants you to look at. It's incredible. He, he can change your vision. He can change your, your, your framing. My kids, I have three daughters. I really love them. But sometimes I really think that they are God's punishment for my past sins. You know, it's, it's that feeling. I'm not, it's not true. It's not good theology. Sort of, you know, sowing and reaping. But anyway, there's something about my kids are a handful. I'm going, like I've got to be at war with my kids to contain them, you know? But there are times when I just, I just stand back watch him play. Um, I watch him watch a movie. I love watching movies with my kids. Um, well, they love watching movies with me because if it's something where at any time that someone will cry happy tears, I'm the one. I mean, something that if, it's be- if it's really sad and everything, I don't cry. I go, mm, that's a bummer. But if something's beautiful and triumphant and just great and touching, I'll be... 
And, and I'll look out of the corner of my eye, and there are my girls going. <laughs> and, and Anna, my, my youngest, she'll go, she'll go, there he goes. There he goes. But there are times when, when, I, when I watch them, they're watching a movie. We have two couches, and I'm just watching them. And I go, wow. What wouldn't I do to change so that I can be a better dad? I don't feel condemned. It, it drives me to my knees. God, what they need, I don't have. Please give it to me. And it's amazing. When I look at them, it exposes my weaknesses. But that exposure, it actually motivates me. I'm going, God, I see this weakness. I can't do that. Because of what I see, God, would you give me what I need? It's just an amazing thing. When we see 